Well, I'm on my second drink. Yeah. And I'm on uh, number two. my tolerance is about one drink. <laughs> okay, you started so, you started with sake. What is this now? This is kind of like a it's it's the way that I describe it is like a vodka margarita. There is a name for this drink, but I can't remember what it is. You know, they say sake before vodka Rita, never it's sicker. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Something, something, something. You're dead. I might just pass out before the end of this episode. Okay. You and Lan both. Yeah. Okay, everybody. This is the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show, or uh, commonly referred to amongst some circles as Tuatsa Twats. Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show. This is a podcast that uh, episode by episode talks about the Wheel of Time show from uh, Amazon Prime, which is a television series. That's based off books that Robert Jordan wrote a while ago. He's unfortunately no longer with us, but all the same, we like the material a lot and we're watching what somebody else is thinking about it right now. And uh, it's not the same, but I like it. <laughs> Who are you? It was a long day today. Uh, had some uh, had some stuff to do very early in the morning, but we're not going to talk about that because nobody gives a shit except for I don't even give a shit about it. So Garrett's on his second drink, uh, so he's feeling pretty great right now. <laughs> Faye's on number two. Adam's on Woo. number one, but it's very large. It's like a it's like a table tapper. <laughs> it's yeah. a big it's a big glass. I got it at some sort of nerd convention. I filled it with Fireball because I was like, you know what? I'd like to be on fire while I watch this episode and make it more tolerable. Oh my god! So, what uh, are we all drinking tonight? Like, uh, oh, I'm just doing beer. I have uh, some Lagunitas over here. Little something for those for for my Lagunitas heads. I know you're out there. Let me hear you. Let me hear you. <laughs> If someone out there is shouting right now, I'm just going to be like, wow. That's not straight fireball. You you are cutting that for sure, right? Uh, I cut it with some Angry Orchard. I will say I filled it three quarters of the way with fireball, and I do regret it. So Jesus my face Christ. is definitely feeling the fireball right now. Oh, my God. Uh, everybody. Your tolerance is like, I would be dead on the floor. Well, I drink. I do drink once a week. So, I mean, I built up this mighty tolerance. No, it's I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. So I think this is going to be a great episode for us. Uh, you know, the opposite of what we had for a little time. But, okay. Anyway, this, this is good is, cold open material. I was going to say, this is really fucking long for the cold open. I'm sure somebody has turned this off by now. Uh, welcome. Season one, episode five. Uh, Faye, I think that you and I are in the same camp of this. Yeah. Adam let us know after the watch along that the... Um, Did you say watch along? Uh, we all know they are called twatch alongs, Garrett. <laughs> God damn it. We talked about this. Sorry. It's the fireball. I just want to go ahead and say really fast, uh, right before this episode, Garrett said, all right, guys, let's tighten this up. Let's have it be a tight 45. And I promise you, listener, this will be the longest episode of the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show ever. That is my solemn vow to you. <laughs> we have been rolling for seven minutes and we have not yet talked about this episode. So let's go into this episode. I stopped my stopwatch uh, with the cold open. We're we're at like four and a half right now. Maybe I maybe kind of I maybe cut some stuff out. Also, if you're looking at the runtime on the total episode, and it exceeds 45 minutes, that means that I didn't do my job. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and we definitely didn't do ours. So, all right, let's make this easier on Garrett. Let's jump into the episode. Yes. Uh, let's see. Where do we want to go today? Um, Adam, you've been choosing a lot of these things. I'm going to ask Faye, where do you want to be today? <laughs> <laughs> so I think today we should be in one of the more important places in today's episode. So let's go to Tarvalon. Let's go to the White Tower. Mm -hmm. And specifically, let's put ourselves in the halls of the White Tower uh, next to one of those statues of previous warders. It sounds good. I'm loving it. Flying it in right now. Oh, yeah. This place is nice. Mm -hmm. Not too Ooh. bad. They, You yeah. know, these novices, they keep it pretty clean. <laughs> they keep it clean. Good they keep them. it clean. You know what? Mm -hmm. That's going to be our first t-shirt. These novices, comma, they keep it clean. <laughs> they keep it clean. <laughs> Scrub those floors. All right. So we start out with a burial scene. Uh, it's the aftermath of the battle that happened at the last episode. Uh, there is the very uh, this somber music playing in the background, and they're they're laying everyone to rest here too. They're not just laying their people, their warders, their Aes Sedai. They're laying this uh, small piece of Loghain's army that came after them, including the, the king. king of Gaelden, yeah. which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. They bury him with his crown as well. I was like, God damn, man. I don't know if that's going to come back to bite us in the ass later, and that's why we held mm -hmm. on that shot for so long, or what's going on, but 
the cold open for the show essentially is uh, laying all these folks to rest. And we do see Stepan carrying his Aes Sedai, uh, Kirini, and uh, laying her down. And that's definitely going to play very heavily in this episode is, is his grief and what he's going through because of his loss. I was going to say, this really, this really uh, kicks the tone of the episode off where it's actually about a lot of death and what we find out later on, rebirth as well. There is at least two mentions of reincarnation in it, which is very interesting. And it's also very characteristic of the of this series. So very cool that this is happening this way. Yeah, I think um, it sets it off well because you said death and rebirth. And what I got from this was grief and recovery. I agree. And, you know, I think it is, is similar in many ways. And there's lots of themes to that, but it does really set it off well. And this scene is beautiful. Um, you know, I, I think like the way that they've like buried each of their enemies and as well as Karini, when you get that shot right from the mm-hmm. from the uh, the bird's eye view of all of them in that circle. And, you know, we have Wheel of Time and all of this stuff. It's I just thought that that was so beautiful. And uh, I almost cried. Uh, it was, yeah, it was Crying wonderful to see. One. We see so much drone footage anymore in like everyday modern world. And I'm pretty positive that was a jib shot. And it just looked beautiful to see the camera pull back and then pulls up and comes forward a little bit to get that circle right in there. That is masterful cinematography. I love seeing that stuff. And Adam, you clocked the number of bodies that were there too. Yeah, I I counted them and I might have miscounted, but I'm pretty sure because I did it when I was sober that there were 33. (laughs) They were were buried symmetrically as well. So I was like, I don't know if that's going to come back. I know we've seen in the trailer another image overlaid on top of this particular scene that looks very similar. So we'll see if that comes back. Um, I will say that at this moment, once they're done with this sort of ceremony and then they go into the credits, I was thinking, uh, oh my God, there's going to be so much that has to happen here. Lan and Marine have to have a chat. Where are they going to go? Are they going to return back to Tarvalon? Are they going to start looking for the party? Because to me, it's very important that they find these four Tavaran that they think one of them, which can be the dragon. And then we fade in from the credits and it's like one month later. And I was just like, <laughs> okay, cool. I really was expecting them to be in like the Hall of Servants. Like, oh, who would have thought Loghain was actually a dragon? Anyways, we're all dead. And then it just cuts to like credits and that's the end of the series. One month is a lot considering that everything that's happened in the first four episodes has been like two and a half days, maybe three. <laughs> Six and hours. now we, we get a full yeah. time jump. It's also very funny to me because there's 14 books in this series and they cover roughly two and a half years, mm. you know? So I was just like, all right, cool. Let's go with it. We're expediting a bunch of the travel. Let's get everyone to Tarvalon. Uh, we need to have this stuff starts popping off. And they make this mention of the fact that uh, Stepan is carrying uh, Karini's ring. It's almost like yet another ceremony of uh, something that needs to be happening. We already had one ceremony that's going to be leading to another ceremony. And we sort of see everyone coalescing and they're going to be meeting up in Tarvalon, uh, which for the most part looks okay. We see Rand, we see Matt, they're approaching and they run up a hill because he sees Dragon Mountain. Rand states, oh, I feel like I've seen that before. So it's like, okay, cool. A little bit more foreshadowing. And once they get to the crest of this hill, you get to see, I mean, it's all CGI, obviously, but you this massive sprawling shot of the full city of Tarvalon with uh, Dragon's Mountain in the background. And it's very intimidating. And it's just a really gorgeous shot to show you, like, this city is supposed to be one of the most beautiful in the world. And this is where everyone's going to sort of, like, get back together, or so you think. I liked the one-month time jump, honestly. I was, like, a little shocked about it at first. But then, kind of thinking back to the books, I was like, okay, so there's this whole, like, thing with Matt and Rand just going to in after in after in after in. And I was like, this is not going to be interesting to watch at all. So I'm actually okay with the woman time jump. And I'm actually okay with a lot of the changes that come with this episode, even though I feel like prior to this, I have been the stickler where I was like, this is different. This is different. But I was okay with this. Sure. The time jump itself, I was a fan of it only because we know that we're more than halfway through this season right now. We only have... Mm-hmm four more episodes. We only have three more episodes after this one. So it's like, we got to start pushing stuff up a little bit. Rubber, rubber needs to meet the road here. We need to start getting to the plot. I mean, we've been pretty plot heavy, which I think is like going to lead to some of my thoughts later in this episode as well, but wasn't upset about the time jump. The only thing I did miss is that the point of random Matt's journey is like, trust no one. You start realizing like dark friends are fucking everywhere. And we did miss out on that a little bit. And because I thought that, I really was looking for dark friends this episode, which is so ironic because I missed one and yeah. Garrett had to show me after the episode. <laughs> no, so. no, no, no. Let's, let's talk about this. Uh, so during the twatch along, uh, God, it's such a good <laughs> name. <laughs> Since they sped it up and Adam, that's a really good point. You actually didn't bring it up during that, but I didn't think about it. It was like, yeah, you're right. Matt and Rand are constantly on the run from dark friends, but in this show, we only get to see one. 
so far until they're here where they're at right now. And that's a bit of a bummer because you don't have that like shit, trust no one uh, mentality. But that also informs what Matt's doing right now too. Matt is just run ragged. He's on edge right now. The thing that is very cool in my opinion is that in two separate scenes, we do see that Pat and Fane is inside Tarvalon. They didn't make it a super big point to point him out. I didn't clock him in the first watch until I saw it the second time. But yeah, I they hung on a scene a little bit. I'm like, uh-oh, we're supposed to be seeing something here, and I couldn't catch him in time. But yeah, Pat and Fane, which people, if you don't remember, he is the merchant that was in the Two Rivers uh, in the first episode who was laughing while the Trollocs were slaughtering the town. Um, yeah, he was just enjoying every minute of it, and it's clear yeah. that now that he's back, there's a lot more tension in the city. Um, and then we move to our next shot, which is uh, Nynaeve being showed to her quarters, which is going to be in the Warder's uh, quarter mm-hmm. of the uh, White Tower, which is very interesting to me. They decide they're going to try and hide her there, despite the fact that everyone very quickly is going to know where she is. And, you know, we have this scene where Moraine and Nynaeve have this, like, frank talk to one another, where Nynaeve kind of tries to be a little bit threatening, and, and Moraine kind of lets know, like, look, I know you're scared. Like, you're putting up this front because you're scared. You're wondering if your life is ever going to go back to the way it used to be, and it's not. And then she goes on to tell her, like, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And this is one of the biggest changes that has been made to this show from the book that I fucking love. Because I mentioned it during the Twatch Along too, which just rolls off the tongue. But it's it's something where, you know, Moraine is very tight-lipped about everything. But she's not tight-lipped to the audience. You know, you have her internal monologue, which you can't really have unless you're going to do a bunch of voiceover work for a TV show. So they had to give her a character where she'll talk a little bit more to. I assumed it was going to be Lan. Shockingly, it's more Nina Eve. They still have this standoffish relationship, but I think Nina Eve doesn't look at her as, like, the monster that brought this tragedy to the two rivers. She kind of understands what she's doing and the fact that she has this purpose, and she looks at all Aes Sedai as snakes, and she's starting to realize, like, this person probably isn't the boogeyman she made her out to be, but most importantly, at the end of the scene, she tells her very directly, when I find your friends, I will take you to them. Mm -hmm. And that's very telling, because she knows Moraine cannot lie. So what she just told her is the absolute truth. And I I made a note of it like, I will give credit where credit is due. This is a change from the books. That is a big departure. And I am here for it. And I really enjoy the fact that these two strong characters, because I sincerely feel like Rosamund Pike and uh, Zoe Robbins are carrying this show in a lot of ways. And these are my two favorite characters to see on screen together. And the fact that I don't have to see them stand around and just like hate each other. They can actually speak to each other is by far my favorite part uh, so far in this episode. The biggest gripe I have, and I said this last time, is that Robert Jordan cannot write romance, and he writes it in a way that is really weirdly implied between characters, where all of a sudden you don't know at all if they like each other, and then all of a sudden they're like all up on each other. And one of the things that I hated was that Nynaeve and Moraine seem to dislike each other, and the reason was there's potentially Lan in between them. And right now, this is not happening in the show, and I really, really like that. Um, And then the other thing that I see as we go through this episode is the way that this episode tends to turn the Betchel test on its head. And again, I just, I have to bring this like feminist point up a little bit, but you know, contrary to other shows where you have female characters talking to each other and they only talk about men in this scene, I feel like when we have two female characters talking to each other, it's never about men. It's about other women. It's about their purpose. It's about their goals. But when we see men talking to each other, it's only about other women. And I'm here for it. I think it's a really important point to make, too, like how revered and respected that these ladies are in certain circles. They're also feared. We saw that in the beginning of the series where people show up or they show up and people like, oh, they say they can do terrible things. I said I or, you know. Uh, creatures of the dark and that's a really good transition to the next scene we get which is the Tuathuan who are traveling along to Tarvalon and we think that Perrin and Egwene are finally going to show up and reunite with their friends and they are stopped by another group that is very well represented in what they are and what they represent which is religious zealotry and hatred of women and that is the White Cloaks and we get to see these two factions essentially square off where the White Cloaks are saying turn those two people over to us and they say no and because the Tuathuan are pacifists, I think there's this idea that they're pushovers, but they lock arms. They're like, no, we're not going to do that. And it's like, oh, you're so stupid. The way of the leaf versus the way of the light. And it's like, yeah, that's a really good way of pointing out that, like, if you really followed the light, you know, if you followed, like, goodness and righteousness, you wouldn't think beating up fucking pacifists who are just trying to travel is a good idea. And these guys do it without hesitation. 
I feel like the White Cloaks, despite the fact that they're bad guys, is the best depiction of a group so far next to the Aes Sedai. And Garrett kind of mentioned it during the watch along too. Excuse me. <laughs> what the fuck, Adam? The watch along <laughs> that we Hold almost on, I enjoy. Like to move over to our next segment. What the fuck, Adam? Hey, camera too. How you doing? Sometimes, guys, Adam he just gets ahead of himself. He's got a great big glass of Fireball right in front of him. I cast Fireball on myself. (laughs) He just rolled 3d8 Fireball damage on himself. And you know what, guys? He failed his reflex save. And that is, what the fuck, Adam? (laughs) If you can't tell, we're nerds and we play Dungeons and Dragons. I also should probably uh, check to see what hit die uh, Fireball damage is. D6s. Yeah, I think it's like 8d6. Shut up, nerds. <laughs> Garrett did mention this, too. And I, I, I'll go back to his point, even though he was just a dickhead. But he mentioned that we almost enjoy seeing the bad guys on the show more than we enjoy seeing the good guys because they have clear-cut motivations. And I just, I really feel that way. Like, every scene that Leandrin's in, I'm like, some shit's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And when I read Leandrin, I'm like, oh, I fucking hate her so much. But watching her, I'm like, hell yes. Because uh, this is the best way I can describe this. If you're <laughs> Since we're talking about D&D here. If you're playing a D&D game and you're standing around and nothing's happening, there's a way you can make stuff happen. It's to do something bad, you know? You just do something and it's like, oh, fuck, the DM has to react to it. And I feel that way when Leandrin's in the scene. It's like everyone has to react to her motivation and what she's going to do. I would say that specifically with Leandrin, what's what's so funny is, like, you're right. I wasn't... I, I, I said... Uh, that I feel like the the bad guys, you know, the quote unquote bad guys, or who we think are bad guys, they're more fun to watch because we have Child Valda, mm. the White Cloak Questioner. Dude's a fucking scary wrecking ball. And again, I've said this before. He feels like he's right. And the thing is, is that he actually was right in what he was thinking. You know, he's like, I'm gonna do this crazy X Men First Class uh, thing where I try to like draw out the energy on you. And guess what? You prove my point right. He's not wrong in that. But it's also like these motivations are fantastic. Leandrin too. I actually feel like she's not so such a cartoony villain. She's being portrayed as kind of a bad guy, but you're not really entirely too sure. I but, mentioned it too. She seems like she's a merge of a few characters, in particular mm-hmm. a character named Aleda, who yeah. is also very similar to Leandrin. And I feel like Aleda was the stronger character in the books. And the fact that she's kind of cannibalizing that character, she's taking those motivations where it's like, I don't agree with her. She seems like a curmudgeon, but I get she has a motivation and she will do anything to fulfill it, basically. Like she has a motivation to like preserve the way of life of the of the Aes Sedai, essentially, and preserve the power of the Aes Sedai. And that's what she wants. She wants people to follow the rules. I did like the interaction that her and Moraine had where it was like, oh, you have Moraine, the good person. And then you have Leandrin, the not good person. But when they're talking, they're actually like, well, we are still sisters and we're on the same side. So we're still going to have, like, jokes and history. and You know what that relationship reminded me of? It reminded me of, and I, I totally mean this, it reminded me of Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr in <laughs> Hamilton. It's like they are frenemies. Like, they yeah. have completely different ideals. They will go about it completely different ways, but they still look at each other as like, but we're kind of still on the same side. Dude, it's like we're both Aes Sedai. I just, yeah. I just unintentionally made an X-Men first class reference right there. It's Magneto and Xavier, you know? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, aren't we just geniuses, guys? Oh, my God. We're the best. I really like that scene between Leandrin and Nynaeve where, you know, Nynaeve's like, yeah, I don't want to be a red or like, you know, you reds just hate men. Mm -hmm. And then Leandrin puts this really good point because I think, you know, Garrett, you were saying that like you actually like sympathize with Leandrin a little bit and you feel like, you know, a little bit connected with her. She doesn't seem like this cartoon villain. And she says, yeah, it's because we women have this power. We have this one power. And yet the world is still run by men. Like WTF, and and so and you know like in that moment I was like, yeah, actually, what the heck? Yeah, <laughs> she makes a good point too. It's like, and these are the kind of men that will cut you down if you seem like you're gonna be more important than they are. Mm-hmm. And then there's this really weird turn of dialogue where it's like, if you want to visit the gardens, the persimmons are in season, and we're all just like, what the fuck is that about? Cut to this like, was this was such <laughs> I like this was, was a just bad so weird. All right, Adam's gonna blow a fucking gasket if he has to say it. <laughs> I spent so long trying to figure out, like, what is Persimmon's code word for? <laughs> uh, we need to take one step back, and I'm going to also blow some other people's gaskets. Uh, Adam, give me your just uh, initial impressions on as to what Loyal looks like. Yeah, so I think we might have moved around <laughs> a little bit talking about a certain theme. However, Rand does take story time, and he goes into the library. He runs into an ogier. Okay. 
I'm okay with most of the depiction of Loyal. I don't like his goatee. I think his goatee looks like really, really terrible, obviously fake goatee. Um, I think his hair looks fine. His nose, his like ridge nose looks like a lion. And I think that's a really good distinction since he's just supposed to be like, he's not a giant from Game of Thrones. You know, he's a different race entirely, which you can tell because in the two minutes he's on screen, he's like, you humans, like 12 <laughs> fucking times. Okay, I'll read my bullet point. The moment my knee jerk reaction as soon as I saw it was kill it, kill it with fire. Yeah. So, <laughs> guys, I liked how Loyal looked. I think I saw his initial picture that was kind of spread around the internet that was leaked or something. And I was like, wow, this looks horrible. And then when I saw him, I was like, oh, it's not too bad. I had such low expectations that I was pleasantly surprised. I, yeah, my <laughs> knee jerk reaction was to hate it. And then when I was looking at him, I'm like, he's not that bad. But that fucking goatee, man, like. If you've ever seen Cannibal the Musical, which is a very, very old musical by Trey Parker and mm -hmm. Matt Stone, South Park um, they, they joke about how they had the worst prosthetics for their beards because their beards like are falling off in half their scenes and shit. And it just became a joke that the movie like played off of. And that's the first time I've thought of that movie in 10 plus years. And it was because of the facial hair strapped to that dude's face. There is a pretty, 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 pretty fucking big stretchy logic jump here where Leandrin's like, hey, Nynaeve. Maybe you can just like go ahead and check out the fucking gardens, and then the next scene that we have Matt and Rand finally get in touch with Ninety Eve because here's the logic: uh, Ogier have access to the Tarvalon grounds, and therefore Leandra knew that Ninety Eve would go to the grounds and talk to Loyal, and then that Loyal would run his mouth to Ninety Eve, and she'd be like, "What? Two rivers? I know two rivers people," and then they would all get together. Like, honestly, do we need to see it? Absolutely not. Do we want to see it? Absolutely not. I do not want to see that at all. <laughs> but it just felt very uncomfortable happening. And it was incredibly as, forced. It was. As, as far as storytelling is concerned, this might be the first time that I was like, oof, I did not like that at all. <laughs> they were trying to figure out a way for Nynaeve and the two boys to get together. And they were like, oh, yeah, let's just shove them together like this. OK, great. It would have been better yeah. if they had Nynaeve look out the window like Rand looked out the window and saw Matt. The scene they could have done it is a scene we kind of glossed over. The false dragon is brought into Tarvalon. We have Rand and Matt. When they're on a high vantage point, everyone in the city is looking at the same spot. There would be no reason why you couldn't just have Nynaeve watching from a certain vantage point mm -hmm. and they kind of look up and be like, is that fucking her? She has the braid. I can see the braid from here. But instead, they focus on another important point in this scene, which is that Loghain looks up at the balcony and he just starts cackling madly. Um, and after that, we see it from uh, Matt's perspective, who it seemed like he was laughing at. We can't even tell whether or not he was laughing or Matt was imagining it. Um, and it's, that, it's very, very much like, is he going fucking crazy right now? That was a super cool edit because we're, because we, this is Gary going into the production value. The sound design on this one was fucking solid. This is one of the uh, moments. Another moment is when Lan's running through the halls by himself and then Perrin being tortured all these moments where the sound kind of just pulls out and you get to kind of like go into these characters psyche to a certain degree. I don't think, I don't know if that's what they're, they're trying to do, but I do feel there was like an introversion happening and I love the way that they were, they were doing all this. And because they were doing that, I do feel like that kind of lends the idea that Matt was having this in his head because then the edit goes from Loghain laughing at him to Loghain not even acknowledging that he was there. And we've been talking about red herrings for the last couple of episodes, which I love. It just makes for cool visual storytelling. It was a great choice that they had done that. I like the scene. I thought it was interesting to see, especially like, because I think we get our first view of the novices. I don't think they're accepted. I think they're novices where they're like drumming, right. which was really cool. I liked this like little conversation between Matt and Rand where he, you see this like tragic side of Matt and he's almost like sad because you seem to think that he might be realizing something like, hey, am I maybe the Dragon Reborn? I feel horrible. Am I going crazy? And he tells Rand like, hey, if one of us turns out to be the dragon, just like, don't let me be like that. Basically saying, like, kill me if yeah, I it's, become it's crazy. A, it's a murder pact. It's, hey, yeah. Don't, yeah. if this is me, like, don't let me become like he is right now. Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, incredibly sad. And I think the saddest part about this to me is that all these different red herrings being tossed in are providing other characters with a sense of security that may or may not be false. We don't know how the season's going to end. Um, but like the more we start narrowing down our list of suspects here, I think other folks are starting to look at this like, oh, like, oh, man, I feel so bad for him, you know, uh, and that might be turned on its ear. But I do feel like that scene in particular would have been the right time to have 
these characters see each other. We've mentioned that this loyal scene is shoehorned in there. I cannot stand it with things are shoehorned in. That said, shout out to P. Sadel, who just talked to us over there on Twitter. You're our first Twitter follower. We appreciate you. Shout out to you. <laughs> wow. After Nina Eve comes in, she realizes something is very wrong with Matt. We have another scene of people sitting and talking to each other. And as much as it annoys me that it seems like every bit of exposition is two people standing next to each other or sitting next to each other and the coverage is just shot one camera over one person's shoulder and vice versa. This scene is so fucking good. Zoe Robbins eats this shit up. She's talking to Rand about the fact they think Matt can channel, how they're going to handle it. And she tells a story about Egwene when she was younger and she got sick. It is a story that is from the books that's sort of been retooled and repurposed here. And like, I hang on every word that comes out of her mouth. I believe everything she's saying is real and it happened to her. And it's just like, I can't imagine being an actor in a scene with her, like Rand just sitting there, the actor sitting there listening to her say, it's like, you probably forget your line because you're so engrossed listening to her deliver hers. <laughs> and it's just such a strong scene that as I'm watching, I'm like, ugh, I'm getting more exposition with them sitting and talking. And like two thirds of the way through it, I'm like, I'm gonna fucking cry right now. Yeah. <laughs> like this scene is so good where she's just talking about like, what Egwene does is defiance. And then we get to smash cut to Egwene, trapped by Valda. She's been given this choice of like, either your parent here is gonna die, you decide. And even when she was given that choice, she had that line that she delivered that Garrett kind of alluded to at the beginning of the episode is like, you know, if you kill me now, I'm gonna get spun back in the wheel later and I will split you in half like the pig you are. And like in that moment, I was like, this woman is a queen to a fucking T. Like when you watch certain actors, you're waiting for them to kind of become that character. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Defiant Egwene is my favorite Egwene and she fucking nails it. It's just so good. One thing I do want to acknowledge that I know has been a little bit of a contentious point for you, Adam, specifically in the show, is that you're not particularly happy with the deviations that they have from the source material here. But I think that the show knows what it's doing. The show obviously had to like understand that these books were here and there is a trove of story and information and stuff but they had to whittle it down to make sure that it can fit into a season here this episode specifically you said it yourself they retooled this story of Nynaeve and Egwene with the whole breakbone fever they retooled it from the purpose that it originally had in the source material but they wanted to still include it and the other thing that I clocked earlier on is when Aguin, Perrin, and Aram are running away from the White Cloaks. It's such a quick shot, but you do see them pass this like rock formation that has faces that are very old and weathered and eroded away, carved into it. And that is a direct lift from when this scene-ish that was from the books happened. Like they're at least putting those, maybe not Easter eggs, but they're at least putting those original inspiration moments from the books back into the show and I think what they're doing is like listen we're going to do as much as we possibly can with this but we only have X amount of time So we left off with the breakbone fever resilience that uh, Nynaeve is talking about, specifically with Egwene. As Adam was saying, the next shot, we have the say of Egwene sitting in the chair, head down, lifts up, and she is just straight up defiance. Yeah, so what we have here is uh, Egwene, and she's sitting there, and she's contemplating the fact that she's been given a choice. She can either sacrifice her own life to save Perrin by channeling, or uh, if she doesn't channel, uh, Perrin will die and they'll release her, which we all can guarantee is a straight up fucking lie. There's no way they'd ever release her, especially if she could channel. Yeah. But that's what she has been told. Um, in this scene, also Perrin confesses to her uh, that this is what he deserves. The torture that he's experiencing right now is like a penance that he's paying for the fact that he accidentally killed his wife in episode one, which you know, still breaks my heart they decided to do this. This is the scene where rather than him confessing his trauma, he should be dealing with the fact that he killed a person in self-defense. That is another deviation from the book that I've mentioned before. Um, Garrett kind of mentioned the, the nod to viewers uh, with those three faces in the background. That is specifically where that scene had happened, where rather than killing his wife on accident, he killed White Cloak 
cloaks in defense of a queen. And uh, it's just something where as I'm watching it, I am sad because the scene is sad. It is shot well. This actor is doing everything he can with this. But it just seems to me like it would have been a better scene had it been uh, the way it sh basically fucking should have been. And the fact that it happened this way means they really didn't need to do that in episode one. You know, they could have had this been the part where Perrin went from this person who's like aloof, kind of lost. You know, he's still protecting his friends to now he's upset because of what happens. And then something significant happens. Valda returns to the room, begins torturing Perrin again, lets Egwene know that if she doesn't make a decision, he's just going to bleed out, and that's a decision anyways. Uh, and two major things happen here. One is that Egwene decides to try and channel on her own, and the other is that the pain triggers Perrin where his eyes go golden for the first time. Uh, and, you know, we've been hearing these wolves howl in the background anytime Perrin's experiencing something traumatic. Um, and as he is being tortured, you know, it's very clear that there is something weird about Perrin happening that is connected to these wolves. Aguin starts pulling in the uh, power and creating a fireball in her hand. As I was watching this, I was like, fuck yes, burn him to the <laughs> ground. I wasn't even like, you know, Valda's supposed to be in book two through five. I was like, no, kill this dude. And she hits him in the chest. It's just like, poof. And, like, that really did make me laugh. And then through Perrin's, like, wolf rage, he rips himself out of this chair uh, and starts confronting Valda, who is shaken for the first time we've ever seen yeah. by the fact that Perrin yeah. looks absolutely feral in this moment with his golden eyes. The, the golden eyes, to me, looked like they were CGI instead of context. And I was like, why? And when he was, like, in between experiencing pain, the golden eyes went away? Which is weird because in the books, like as soon as he connects, he has the golden eyes. That is a trait of his. He's always looking down so no one notices after that. And that's just the way it is. It really makes me wonder if this is going to be like a power he activates from time to time where his eyes turn golden. Uh, and it just for me, I was just like, wait, wait. Is this another unnecessary change we're going to get because they didn't want to buy a set of fucking golden context to give this uh, guy through every scene? <laughs> Come on. I don't think that was that. I already talked about the sound design a little bit about what was happening more of just like the entire non-diegetic sound of just like us, the viewers sinking into like everybody's psyche. I, I'm going to admit the, the moment where Egwene let him free and he ripped his bonds and he got up the fucking sound he makes, which is this roar was so cool to hear. I got to cut in here, Garrett, because uh, we need to do today's who's hot on twat. Hot, 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 hot. Because today on Who's Hot on Twat, it is Perrin Ibarra because, oh my gosh, this scene of him breaking out of his bonds, calling the wolf, being that wolf brother was just so ridiculously hot. Before this, you know, we had talked about how he like kind of revealed Egwene that he had killed his wife. And I know like you didn't love this, Adam. I didn't love this before this scene either, but I felt like when he finally confessed, like, yes, I did it, I killed my wife. And he's admitting that grief and he's admitting that this is a, his ability to like almost let that go which is what I thought gave this a little bit of more of a redeeming quality. Like he admitted it, he said it out loud. That's the first step. He's gonna accept this and then he's gonna let it go. And he's gonna build into this new character of his where he's gonna be the wolf brother. He calls the wolves, scares the shit out of child Valda, who has previously been really scary this entire time. But all of a sudden you realize He's a small guy compared to Perrin. Perrin is huge. Most people but, are going to be small guys compared to Perrin. Yeah, and Perrin it, totally could overpower this guy. I felt that that was very lovely to have this like point of vulnerability, this point of grief mixed in with this super powerful scene of him calling the wolves, of him like almost like becoming a wolf himself with that roar, with that howl. That's who's hot on twat. Hot, 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 twat. That was awesome. Yeah, I agree that this is Perrin's very, very strong, like, scene where he's going to become this wolf brother, you know, and I sincerely hope that, you know, we've talked about the trope of fridging characters and, you know, creating this character to kill off uh, just so Perrin would have motivation. Like, okay, they already committed the sin. Let's go ahead and fulfill the prophecy, have him become the wolf brother now, and then maybe we can move forward and have Perrin not be so grief-stricken. Um, mm -hmm. So I agree. I think Perrin's release was definitely the hottest moment of the show. It's a weird sentence to say, but I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Only episode five has release. Let's maybe all hope Perrin's on the upswing right now. I would actually hope to see that, you know, Adam's giving me the fingers crossed on his Zoom screen right now. So episodes six, seven, and eight, hopefully Perrin's not such a... I mentioned it before too. I totally sympathize with him. He was grieving. You know, he was in mourning. And now hopefully he's going to be redeeming himself. Now that we've seen this, I can go ahead and mention that one of my biggest concerns about doing this to his character is that Perrin's 
uh, duality to his character is the fact that he does not want to be a wolf brother mm-hmm. and his sad sackness uh, sort of shows up when he realizes his power so I think he's going to I hope it doesn't happen but I think he's going to transfer from one trauma to another of I did this I can't forgive myself now to no I don't want to be this thing um, which is a very heavy theme in the book until he decides like whatever I hope they <laughs> if they're going to expedite shit please expedite parents coolness so now we're going to go ahead and move on uh, to basically where this episode is going to wrap up in Tarvalon. Uh, we do have a scene of Lan and Stepan hanging out in what appears to be Stepan's quarters as he is uh, praying or essentially like warding off the evil of some of these statues that represent the Forsaken. I believe this is the first time we've had the words mentioned on the show of Forsaken. And we realize that Ishmael, as they're calling him, is one of many of the chosen ones that have basically forfeited their souls to the Dark One for eternal life and massive amounts of power. Uh, and he is trying to pray to keep Ishmael's influence away from him so that he can see the truth. Uh, which is kind of indicative of this next scene where him and Lan are having this dialogue as they're sitting uh, and drinking tea. Uh, this was another thing that kind of bugged me because like Lan, again, super badass, takes a nerf. He just starts sipping this tea without paying attention to whether or not his friend is drinking it, uh, which he, of course, is not. And they're just sort of talking about very casually how whether or not he's going to be okay when he takes on uh, Alana's bond. This was one of the times during this episode I thought Steppen was actually a dark friend. I was like, it is very clear he is poisoning Lan in some way. Cut to him waking up in the morning very groggy. Garrett made mention of this scene because this is when he looks around and is very alerted to something that startles him basically. And he runs out of the room Mm -hmm. and that thing is a knife is missing. What did you guys think was going to happen at this exact moment? This whole time with Stepan being so sad, I had no inclination that he was going to be a dark friend, to be honest. Sure. And my understanding was that the reason Lan was drinking was because he and Stepan are very old friends and he would never, ever, ever suspect Stepan of doing anything like this. And so I immediately thought, all right, Stepan is going to, you know, kill himself and join his Ace to die. And that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. I <sighs> didn't see it in the form of a knife. I thought he was going to turn around that scene where Lan turns around. We would have seen like his body. Like he would have like hung himself or killed himself in the sure. room. Like that's exactly what I thought we were going to see. I That blows my mind. I That was not on my radar at all. I thought that Stefan was gone. Lan realizes it. A knife is missing. I thought that he was like, oh, I'm going to go fucking wreck Loghain because he took away my eyes to die. So that's where my mind went. Adam, you were thinking he was a dark friend the whole time, so where did your brain go? Yeah, because like for me, I've been looking for dark friends this episode. I'm like, they've got to start shoehorning him in here. <laughs> Shout out to PC, our first fan over there on Twitter. But <laughs> Adam, I hate you so much. I sincerely, I sincerely thought, you know, this is him. He was there when his eyes to die died. He saw the power Nine Eve has, They all know they're kind of looking for the dragon because they're confronting this false dragon with this immense amount of power. And they've been talking about the secret of Nynaeve being kept within the tower. He already knows where she is. We had a scene like that. He took this knife because he's a dark friend. He thinks she's the dragon and he's going to kill her. Now that you know what we all thought, we find out that Faye is unfortunately uh, the most correct. He went into this hall that does have statues dedicated to apparently great warders that have been memorialized. uh, And he is kneeled in front of one of them. And this scene really struck me as probably the saddest because it's like, this is a hall dedicated to the memory of people who have served, uh, not just their Aes Sedai, but they've served the world in such an important way that they're going to be remembered forever. And he's kneeling in front of one of them. And I could not help shake the feeling that he did this because he views himself as a failure. He let her down. He let her die. This was this person that he has been trying to prove himself worthy of, and she is gone. And no matter what anyone tells him or how much they can tell him he's going to be okay, he's just not. And it was just heartbreaking for me to see that. In all seriousness, Suicide is a real thing, and we are doing a lot of joking, but this is something we are not joking about. If you are thinking about suicide, are worried about a friend or loved one, or would like emotional support, the Lifeline Network is available 24-7 across the United States. The phone number for that is 1-800-273-8255. If you are outside the United States, please check on your friends or loved one and follow the appropriate channels to get them help. Yeah, absolutely. And this scene is very raw. You know, Lan has already been exposed as being... Um, this character that is dealing with the fact that he can't do everything he wants to. Uh, and we've seen this vulnerability through his character. You know, Faye talked about it last episode. Uh, and this time, it's not just this vulnerability of getting to know him. This is like seeing him 
fail. And I, I'm sure that's how he feels. And realistically, like, there's nothing he could have done. He got drugged. You know, this guy very clearly had a plan. Um, but it's just this really, really raw moment where it cuts from, you know, him discovering his body to them transitioning to this other ceremony that very much feels like a funeral or a wake. And it's just this really emotional scene of, like, him being the person who's at the center of this um, grieving procession, essentially. And, and they all start, like, chanting. You mentioned the Mongolian throat singing that was going on, Faye. Mm-hmm. I'm known as Tuvan. I don't know if Tuvan or Tuvia is Mongolia or anything. I didn't need to interrupt this. <laughs> I have no idea. You're just making mouth sounds to me right now. <laughs> Speaking of... <laughs> Speaking of mouth sounds. Um, I think this scene is very indicative of you added in something new. There's no exposition here. If you want to explain how close a warder and his eyes to die are... Um, this scene does it better than any amount of exposition ever could because Lan is like, he is a fucking mess. He is a wreck right now. You can see it all over his face. It's wonderful acting. Um, and he just exchanges looks with Moraine. And like Rosamund Pike, she just has this face of like serenity hiding pain. And she's like trying to stand there and be strong for Lan while also just weeping openly. And then they cut to Nina Eve, who is also there, you know, and she's struggling to maintain her composure as well. And it was like, I had forgotten that we are at the end of the episode and the the episode ends here. You know, this is where we end is on Lan's grief and them expressing it and letting it out in just such a like visceral and raw way. I was just like, God damn, man, like they're really, (laughs) they're really adding in the trauma in this. And uh, it's something where I was sincerely not expecting it. You you said that so well. And that's the same thing that I felt too. It doesn't hit you until after you watch it or maybe on your second watch that Stepan had this in mind the whole time. I, I mentioned this in the To Watch Along, but he approaches Nynaeve to get the sleep aid tea, which he knows he's going to give to Lan because he knows that Lan, as his close friend and brother, is going to essentially watch him to make sure he doesn't do anything drastic, but he wants to because he's grieving and he wants to relieve his pain this way. He says that he has the pain and he, that's the only thing he has of his eyes to die that he wants to hold on to because if that goes, then she's gone forever. And he wants to still be with her. So he pulls a fast one on his friend so that he can have his own release. And um, I don't agree with it, but it is, uh, it's the choice that he made. And there's a certain poetry about it that also has its own beauty. In the Twatch line, again, we were talking about there's a lot of Eastern influence in here. And this, I, I do not know the exact pronunciation, but there was a very seppuku or seppuku method of his uh, completion of suicide. I mean, it's a heavy topic, and I don't want to bring anybody down with it, but as far as the plot is concerned, it definitely brought a lot of emotion out of me, at least. Yeah, I mean, this was, I think, the completion of what we were talking about with this theme of grief in this um, episode. And there were three points in this episode where I almost cried. The first, you know, we talked about was, you know, the burial of uh, the, their enemies as well as the burial of Karini. The second was uh, that moment of grief and acceptance uh, of his grief by Perrin, um, in that uh, White Cloak's tent. And then the third time was definitely this like open grieving here in this scene um, with all of them surrounding the body of Stepin with Lan, you know, obviously showing us his grief. And you're right. I think the one thing that I didn't get uh, that you said really well, Garrett, was that the second time around it's sadder because you know that this whole time that Stepin has been showing signs of, of what he wants to do and he's been making this plan um, and he ultimately is able to complete his plan. Um, and what's sadder too is that we know that it's not spoken, but um, Lan seems to know this as well. And he says, you know what? I'm going to spend tonight with you. I'm going to be with you so that you don't do this. But Stepin is one step ahead of him essentially and says, yeah, I know Lan is going to do this and I'm going to prevent that because this is my plan. It's yeah. so tragic. To kind of wrap this up a little bit, I know it's a very heavy topic. There's just two last things I want to make mention of. And, and one is that the final shot of the episode is an aerial view of this ceremony. And it's very much reminiscent, not exactly uh, the same orientation um, of the first shot that we had that was yeah. aerial, which I said there was 33 mm-hmm. holes. I just went back and counted it. I think there's only 30 people that are standing around there. I'm not sure if like, you know, I didn't get to the right spot. It's very clearly meant to mirror that shot what it's doing is it's bringing it around and I'm saying this winkingly, but like it's bringing it around like the wheel, the wheel repeats itself. Everybody has probably made this connection right now, but we have a lot of white bodies and graves in, in the first shot, the last shot, we have a lot of white bodies that are standing in there. Um, there's also something to be said too about the fact that they're all grieving and they're pounding on their chests. 
I think Lan is the one who is grieving the most here and everybody's punching their chest in solidarity and that is to kind of manifest the internal pain externally. One last thing that I, I just wanted to point out is that there's this permission that's given. There's, I think, one person who's leading this grieving ceremony and he says, Lan, like, put your hands on to step in and, you know, like, take our grief. Or he says something like, you know, sh it's okay to show your grief. And he sure. gives Lan this permission to grieve where before this, you know, we've seen Lan as a stoic character who shows no emotion. Mm -hmm. And this is like the first time that we see him break down. Because they share the bond. We know that Lan's about to snap, but we see Moraine go a little bit first. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's like a beautiful resonance in between them that like the water bond has. This fucking property and this show, man. <laughs> yeah. I love this stuff. I love this yeah. so much. When I think it's, you know, I've, I've criticized the show a lot. And I will say that when I say stuff like show don't tell, this is what mm -hmm. I'm talking about. There's two words spoken in this entire shot, you know? And the last thing I was gonna say, cause I said I'd give you two is that, you know, as sad and as impactful and heavy as the scene is, moving away from that a bit and standing back objectively and looking at it, I told you so when it comes to, if Rafe makes up a character, do not get attached to them because <laughs> Steppen does not exist in the books. And so as soon as Karini went, I was like, there is no way no way they're going to keep him around and they serve to this is the saddest one for me by far so that said i guess to wrap this up and to kind of bring us back from this uh really sad ending to the episode let's go over to camera two rafe how's it going i hope you're doing well man we're five episodes in we got three episodes to go i'm very excited typically we stop in the midst of the recap to do what the fuck, Rafe, but this week I decided to wait until the end because I think the problem that I have, and Garrett kind of touched on it earlier, thank you, Garrett, mm. is kind of represented in the weak spots of this episode. At this point, we have, in the real world, four or so factions that exist when it comes to watching this show. The first faction, of course, is the people who don't watch it, the largest faction. They suck. There's the watchers <laughs> who have never read the books. <laughs> And they seem to like the show. So I think the changes that are being made for the audience of people who have not read it have at least brought in an audience. It's the number one show on Amazon Prime. I think it's the number one streaming show of the year so far, and only five episodes have come out. It's very impressive numbers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, I didn't know wow. about this. And then the other two factions are the people who have read the books, and they're split down the middle. People who have read the books, who like the show, and who don't. I'm okay with it, sort of. But let me explain why I understand the faction of people who don't. This is my biggest problem is the number one excuse that folks have to say for the show is, well, there's just so much to cover. Uh, they just have to leave stuff out. Or they say things like, oh, I can see what they're doing. Yeah, we all can see what they're doing. And the problem for me in episode five is we have three brand new ceremonies that are being added in. Granted, they are done well, but it is clear to me that when we're rushing the show, it's not to get to the plot. It's to get past stuff that we don't think is important. And people that have read the books do think that that stuff is important. And you kind of have to circle back and do a half-assed version of it, which is apparent with Perrin's eyes going golden when he confesses this trauma while he's physically being mutilated, which seems absolutely unnecessary. There is ways to get to him discovering his power that aren't the same way. And we kind of double down on the fact that Stefan's bond with Elena it's like something he has to experience this new wave of sexuality and that also really bothers me and there's just so many scenes that have been added in and other stuff that's taken out that's more pertinent where we're still sitting around wondering why the hell did we just watch that why do we have to listen to that weird scene why isn't this just being done the way it was done in the books i get it you expedite stuff you combine a bunch of different things but when we have a giant time period jump it sort of starts to make me wonder what we would have missed out that we could have kept in. And we've kind of talked about that. And instead we have just a ton of heavy handed exposition. And honestly, that just gets boring. I don't want to hear characters talking about the world they live in. They already know it. Why are they talking about it? Show us this good, solid material. And if you're going to add in new stuff like the end of this episode, that's fine. I am totally okay with that. But if you're pulling out something that is important to put in yet another scene, about sex or about talking about something that you could just easily leave the other scene from the books in that explains it way better just to do that you don't have to divide the audience to bring in people who have never seen the books 
and it increasingly feels like it is being done to tell your story and not Robert Jordan's. What the fuck, Rafe? Anyways, I didn't think it was that bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. We went a little bit longer. Uh, And when I say a little bit longer, episode one or zero, episode 0.5, I was like, we're going to have these at 35, 45 minutes. Sober Garrett told you that. This is drunk Sober Garrett was a fucking idiot, guys. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't even know. Drunk Garrett is just called Jarrett. Yeah, Jarrett. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking evil. Okay. (laughs) Super happy that, number one, you're probably still watching the show. Because if you're not watching the show and listening to us, this doesn't make any fucking sense. You should watch the show. Number two, thank you for spending your time with us, and we appreciate that you're here. You guys have time to give, and you gave it to us for this hour that we were here, so thank you for doing so. Um, if you want to contact us... Just like P. Seedle did over there on Twitter. I'm pretty sure I said your name three different ways in the three different shout-outs you've gotten. Hopefully one of them was correct. You're welcome. You asked for it. Nobody else is going to get that except for you. <laughs> also, number two, our first uh, Patreon um, subscriber, Stefan Dranger, notable friend of Adam and Garrett. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much. If you want to reach out to us, though, we have a bunch of different ways. All of our social medias are at Wheel of Time Pod. You can hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and soon TikTok. Yeah, we're going to get down with the kids. Not going to participate in that at all. We're going to tick those talks. Also, if you want to head over to our website, wheeloftimepodcast.com, feel free to do so. You can also type in twatsatwats.com or the Wheel of Time Show about the Wheel of Time Show.com, and you can get there as well. Click on Contact Us, fill out that form. It comes directly to us. And you can check out our reviews on these episodes. They are shorter. They are funny. Garrett's are really, really, really short. So if that's what you're into, go ahead, pop over there. We have a TLDR if you don't even like reading a couple of sentences that lets you know exactly what we thought of the episode. But uh, we would love to hear from you. Follow us on the social medias. That stuff's always good. But yeah, thank you so much. And we want you to contact us. You can do that on the website. You can also do that via our Twitter DMs. And of course, if you want to contact us through TikTok, we're going to have lots of thirst traps with Adam Garrett. (laughs) I don't know some of those words that you just said. (laughs) (laughs) that's because you're old garrett it's okay Uh, yeah i'm okay i'm actually three days older than adam i don't know how many people know that he's five days older than me god he's always trying to make himself younger (sighs) (laughs) it's five days all right wonderful thank you so much listener thank you for being here we love you and rafe ruined adam's life no he's just (laughs) trying to ruin it (laughs) i agree with that one (laughs) 